Welcome to another edition of the Just Swinging It podcast. My name is John Burrell, and I'm here with Fat Baby Funds. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Staying busy. You know how it goes. Heard that. I play a little bit of basketball, and after work today, and uh, come home, and now on the podcast here with you, we're trying out the... the uh, spaces again. I think this one has so far going a little smoother than the uh, previous one. Had a little technical difficulties last time, but we're here and ready to get things off uh, off and going. So anything that's caught your eye so far this week in financial markets? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've definitely been keeping an eye overall on inflation. I think that came out last week, but it came out pretty hot. Uh, market's been doing real well, which, you know, I can never quite tell which way is the wind's blowing on that and why it's doing what it's doing. So I'll take it for now, but I'm still definitely on guard overall as I'm watching that, uh, just cause it's, I, I, based on what I'm objectively looking at, I don't know what changed. Um, but I'll take it. Yeah, I think that really we haven't seen anything change and people are so used to buy the dip mentality that I think a lot of people are just buying because it hasn't moved lower yet. But I think there's a lot more pain to come. I don't think that anything's changed and I still think that the Fed is going to continue to tighten and we're going to continue to see terrible uh, numbers and um, yeah, I just think that this uh, this trend continues, but we're kind of stalled right now. Yeah, and I mean it's interesting uh, the the narrative has from inflation to that we might be a point of deflation at this point or less inflation, and I think a lot of what drives conversation is really the oil prices when you step back and look at it. But there's a lot of other items that are driving that uh, as well. So there's a lot of deflationary uh, information out there where it's starting to look like we might have hit peak inflation, but it's impossible to tell. The The housing market is still crazy hot. The labor market outside of tech is still crazy hot. Uh, it's tough to follow what's going on, but I've seen – at our at our work, we're really struggling to hire hire people, and we've got people leaving for insane offers that are full work from home, all that kind of stuff. And when I'm seeing that, that sort of I'm that that makes me torn when I'm looking at it. What's really going on? Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I think that inflation is more than likely peaked. I mean, when I look at uh, my trading strategies. Uh, they're pretty much um, saying that commodities uh, in particular is breaking down. And I would say I would say it's fair to make the assumption that the peak is already in on inflation. And now we're just going to get, like you said, less inflation. We're going to get, I guess, disinflation. Uh, we're still going to have inflation, but at much lower numbers. And things is going to you know start to come off. And I think one of the big problems that we talked about before is that the fed has kind of been playing catch up and they've been on like a three month lag. They should have been tightening rates months before they actually started tightening rates. And then they, they were kind of like shocked by this number because there are these numbers that's come out for inflation because they were saying, Oh, it's transitory. And then they got hit in the face with like not in the nines, of uh, percent inflation as far as how they calculate it. And those numbers are kind of BS anyways, in my opinion, uh, as far as inflation goes. But when you look at the numbers that they even go off of, you're looking at uh, like a three-month lag. So they're still very much got their foot on the pedal for raising rates. And now they should already be thinking about flattening out or even maybe dropping. I think they've over-tightened. And... You know, this is the policy error that we had had conversations about before the S&P 500 was down 20%. Uh, I think the S&P 500 is down somewhere around 15% now. It's definitely off of its lows, but we're still 
not where I think we're going to go as far as the economic environment or as far as stock market goes. Because if you look at the uh, the markets, they're still overpriced to some extent. I mean, I've seen a, a thing that you put up about Costco. Um, I think that was the, the, um, the ticker that you put up yeah, about it being... Yeah about it being like a PE ratio of 40. I think, you know, a lot of the uh, oh, like extreme evaluations, that kind of stuff has come in and the market is not as frothy as it had been, but there's still a lot of, uh, I guess, shoes to, to fall, so to speak, uh, in the market. And like you said, there's still crazy offers and, and things are still moving. So I could definitely see that, a lot of people will probably get sucked into this because it's been by the dip men mentality. And yeah, maybe over 30 years, 20 years, we will get to new all-time highs. But in the short term, I think people are buying before it drops again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to tell really what's going on. But investors, they got short memories and they want to they wanna come ripping, roaring back like it was. So I think that's sort of what everyone's chasing after. Uh, but it's hard to tell. I do think the Fed's going to stay after it aggressive um, with more rate hikes and then sort of ending in the the mid threes at the end of the year, if I was guessing at what's going on. Uh, and it's good to watch when you're watching it is the watching core inflation as well, because it's easy to say fuel, blame it on the oil companies, inflation, all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of inflation beyond just commodities and uh, some of the crazy steeper moving energy uh, prices. There's there's inflation everywhere. So it's interesting to watch that as well and see how that's doing. Yeah, I mean, you have everything from the rent as far as housing goes is still red hot, especially in the area that we live in and the housing market here in Charlotte has been booming for, I guess, the last, well, really since um, since 2012, it's been just on a rip, but especially since COVID. And I would be surprised if things start to move sideways um, in, in all markets. Like, I, I don't see things ripping to the upside forever, especially since COVID. I, I think that most likely we'll see some kind of different type of market going forward. I wouldn't think that we would continuously have these boom and bust cycles. And if we do, it seems like, you know, from 2020, it seems like the cycle have, has gotten a lot shorter. Like we went from this huge, long, um, record shattering bull market then COVID happened, and then we went right back to a reasonable market, and now we're in a bear market again. Um, I, I don't don't see that continuing. I mean, it, it's very possible that maybe this is the new the new age that we're in, and that just you know the cycles become really short, and and um, people are trying to buy the dip and push it up, and it, it's no one knows for sure um, as far as like where to put your money. I don't really see any good places to really put money as far as like asset class classes go there. I'm sure there's a few individual companies or, or stocks or, or precious metals or, you know, across the board, I'm sure there's something, but even gold broke down below trend and I exited my gold position. So, you know, when you're looking at um, all the asset classes, all of them have been pretty much beaten up or sideways. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide. Uh, I mean, com commodities have been ripping a little bit, but even now that's starting to cool down. And it's question it, what's going to replace it if there's anything. And that's where it's been a tough market because what was supposed to protect you was gold, and gold sort of isn't ripping either. So when you're stepping back and looking at well, what am I supposed to be in, it's – there's no good answers in this kind of market. Yeah, and most people miss the commodity boom. I mean, I would say that 95% of uh, investors, especially retail investors, was not in commodities. I mean, I'm 
that was in the the all weather their funds the the uh, dragon portfolios and things like that that we talk about there's definitely people that's in those strategies and that's one of the benefit like we talked about before of those strategies but i would say the majority of people you know they were just trading high beta the you know whatever the most popular stocks were and a lot of people missed uh, a lot of people miss the commodities ripping so and now it's kind of like after the fact that they've already ripped like you said they're starting to cool down now so it's really, really not good to chase uh, those markets and you know gold it started to rip but then it broke back down and now we're in like the 1700s uh, like mid 1700s now or low 1700s on gold and um there's really, I mean, when I look at my investing, my investing slash short term, uh, I guess it's really, you know, I usually do like probably like a month to three month cycles is usually what my investment portfolio goes through. Um, really, I mean, they've they've been no good allocations for my portfolio. Um, I've gotten beat up on bonds. Um, I got out of gold and really, um, you know. The only reason I've made any money in financial markets is, has been my day trading um, strategy. Um, the, today, the market ripped like 2%. It was a very easy trending market today um, and got like 60 points on the S&P uh, 500 future. Other than that, I mean, as far as an investor, it's really, these markets are not really investable markets. Yeah, I do think one thing that's worth it, and it's shown in this market, is that commodity trend following is a, a very interesting uh, tool to add to your portfolio, just because we've been talking about nothing working, but commodity trend following has been working in this market. So as a way to, something to watch in the future is just when commodities start to move up, the markets don't move fast enough on them. And historically, that trend following has worked, uh, especially in the commodities. So I think that's a, an area I'm going to keep my eye on and try to remember. And then also just passively use the Dragon portfolio as well. I do think it's interesting, especially on gold. If you, if you wind back and think about it, two years ago, gold was higher than it was right now. It's sort of crazy to think about. Uh, you'd expect with everything that's going on, gold is going to be higher, but gold sort of moves like, like commodities where it goes on rips and then and it trades sideways for a long time. Uh, so gold, it, it definitely makes sense to have it in a portfolio, but I think a lot of people expect it to be trading a little different than it actually does. Yeah, especially with inflation, uh, a lot of people point to inflation and say, well, why isn't gold going up? But from what I've seen of gold, gold really moves on interest rate. You know, if you can if you can get get bonds at a, you know, that actually pays you to own them versus gold that doesn't really pay you. It seems like interest rates as they go up, that kind of hurts gold. But at the same time, you would think that inflation would help gold. Um, and so there, there's so many different ways you could look at it. But I would agree with you is it would seem that gold would be doing a lot better than it has. But it just it just hasn't really moved. It's been sideways to slightly down um, since the beginning of the year. I mean, it's definitely been a place where you could park money and you haven't got destroyed on because it it hasn't really um shot down and it's kind of stayed you know pretty stable um but um but like you said yeah i i, I like trend trading um across uh, all markets really i think trend trading is a very good strategy um i've done a little bit of backtesting on trend uh and it seems that, that they give up a, a few percentage on the total returns, but they cut the risk in half. So I definitely, um, that's how I trade my, um, my portfolio. And that's also how I day trade is through uh, trend models. And um, I, I think 
like you said, a lot of people probably miss this commodities, but it's definitely something to keep in mind for the for the next cycle coming up. Is is commodities when they tear? I mean, they really really go. They really go when they go. Yeah, and it might not be done yet. All it takes is one more supply chain break and anything like that. I was listening to a podcast today. And uh, right at the end, they just dropped this crazy, crazy statement that uh, it's inevitable that China's going to invade Taiwan. They're like, yeah, it's, it's clear it's going to happen. It's like, holy shit, what are you guys talking about? That'd be, that'd break the markets. That's, that'd be, Russia invading Ukraine is, is terrible. Uh, China invading Taiwan is like very, very, very bad. That's, that's closing in on World War Three. Because uh, then all of a sudden you've got two major powers, each in a war, um, trying to expand, sort of aligned on that front. And it's it, that'd be real dangerous for the market. And they were describing it as inevitable, which is scary. Yeah, that's something that I don't have a lot of expertise on as far as geopolitical risks. But, but it does seem like we're in a very fragile time across the board of all the different risk parameters that you could pretty much lay out. It just seems like we've kind of hit, I mean, when you look at financial markets, just historically, especially here in the United States, they've always went up and that's not necessarily been the case everywhere else. Um, Japan had recently got to its first all time high like, 30 or 40 years and I think that to some extent it's foolish for us to think that we can't go through one of those periods and when you look at history as far as like nations coming in and out of power um, they've been these massive um, increases in the superpower of the world but that always that always comes to an end and it doesn't necessarily mean that the country will completely go away or will be ruled by someone, but it just means that we we're not, it, it, I kind of feel like it's foolish to expect that things will always be the way, the way they have just because that's what's happened in the past. But I mean, we really have nothing else to go off of and we might be dead and gone before those things happen. So, I mean, you really just have to take the highest probability bets that you can with the information that you have. And that's really, that's really all any of us can do. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a big fan of in the all weather fund or in dragon portfolio or anything like that. You should have international exposure for the exact reasons you're talking about. I do struggle a little bit with some of it and I've, I've read a little bit on it. Uh, some of the Ray Dalio stuff, uh, he's got talks on the changing world order and how historically the world order has changed and when it changed. And a lot of times it has to do with debt, all that kind of stuff. But I, I struggle with it a little bit because right now I just have a time believing China is going to be the one taking over. When you watch some of China's actions and especially what they do around COVID, some of the stuff they're doing is straight crazy. So I, I have a hard time imagining that they're going to be able to be the one who takes over. I think if anything, I'd put my bet on the field over China just because some of the crazy ass shit they're doing. Yeah. I think the problem with China is they, they want to be a free market because they, they want to be rich, but they still want to be communists at the same time. It's like they're split between the benefits of a free market but the control of what's best for like they're they're trying to they're they're trying to figure out what's best for us as a whole and you have a few people in power trying to predict what's best for everybody and that's what we should do oh what's best for the majority of people we're here in the United States 
we look at everything as like individually let's figure out what's best for us and because we demand those things as individuals then the markets will shift to where they're they're needed but even the united states gives incentives to try to push people in places they wouldn't normally go and you know they, they i mean we, we extent we have socialized and and push things so we're like a free market with an asterisk but we're still mostly a free market but like you said china they could have already became the superpower in the world but they've held their their economy back from really growing because they've tried to they've tried to tell the future and try to figure out what's best for themselves and you know anybody that think you know we do that kind of to an extent in america too is we'll have have someone, say, chess player, like I've seen uh, Gary Kasparov doing talks about things that's outside of chess. It's like, well, what, what, I mean, yes, you're a brilliant guy and you've done these things, but we're looking to you, and not specifically him, but just we'll look to people because of their validation in other areas and then we'll try to use them to, oh, what do you think's best for our country? And then and then we'll try to, especially like in the Federal Reserve and stuff, we'll point people with powers that maybe they shouldn't have. And it's just interesting to see that people think they know it's best for the, you know, the larger scale. And it's like, well, let's just let the free market figure those demands out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's part of my... My worries on China, but let's be honest, I don't know anything about China. So I, I sit back here and look at it from from a high level, but a lot about China, I just I don't understand well enough to that to know that there's a real chance I'm very wrong, but I struggle with it, with the idea that they're going to be the next world power. Um, but I'll throw some international exposure if I'm doing a all-weather portfolio into it, because the whole point of those portfolios is not whether I'm right or not. It should be whatever, whatever the weather is, you make money. Yeah, I guess that's the biggest takeaway is no one knows the future and it's better to be diversified than make a big bet in one direction and be wrong, especially if you've accumulated wealth over your, over your life. So I guess the big takeaway here for people is just make diversified bets across many different sectors and asset and and assets and um yeah just just uh be able to withstand all weathers um of markets yeah yeah absolutely and i think i think i I think international exposure does make sense but it is scary when you start to look at it when you start to think about it it's like oh man there's there's a lot going on and I know that America's probably not going to stay the world power forever, but I just don't see who's going to pass it. So that's where you sort of just make the, the ETF bet on that one if you want and get broader diversification across the whole international sphere because I don't see what's happening. Yeah, and it's a combination of not just of if, also when and and we there's no way to tell either two of those so just sticking to some strategic um plan for your investments is going to be super important going forward um anything happening in the crypto space i mean bitcoin sort of ripping uh other than that it's relatively quiet there haven't been too many blow-ups the three arrow capital stuff i don't know if you've looked at any of that it's just crazy what some of these people were doing they were taking that i think they something off the top of my head they borrowed like 2.3 billion dollars uh over the course of their existence and their sales their uh, everything they had was less than that and then they were buying yachts and stuff with it so crypto was just it got a little wild there for a while um but bitcoin's trading higher now i think it was at like 23 24k earlier today uh so up eight or nine percent and uh, doing well but i i do think that a lot of weaker hands sold out for in the drop from 66k to 20k because 
if you got any intentions of selling, you probably did it by then. But it's hard to say. It's hard to say. But it's definitely been quieter in crypto this week. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. Nothing's really hit my radar. I, I by no means follow it that closely, but especially preparing for our conversation last week. And then, uh, you know, I do pay attention to financial markets in general. So some things usually come across the dashboard, but haven't really seen anything. Um, but, but you said uh, Bitcoin seems to be kind of kind of filling out a range for itself, which is good to see if you're looking at Bitcoin long term. Is there um, anything in the stock market that you're looking to make plays on or you know, anything that's kind of caught your eye as far as a value play or something that uh, looks appealing versus the broader market? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I'm still incredibly bullish on Spotify. I still like that. Uh, what I'm around with is some puts right now. Uh, just uh, 1% of my portfolio messing around with that. And it's hard because... Every time I'm just I'm just dumb. Every time I want to buy puts, I end up doing it on good companies. Um, so Costco and Apple are what I'm looking at right now. And it's just because they're when I, I step back and look at it, they're trading at historically high multiples because of recent revenue growth that they had, and that I really question if it's stable or not. And when I step back, especially Costco, I'm looking at a P of forty. They've had a lot of revenue growth over the past year. Um, but if they start to trade back to their historical growth, which means they'll trade back to the historical margins, uh, they could cut in half. It's sort of crazy when you look at it. Um, and that's what's happened to every other company. So Costco and Apple have been hanging out there um, because they, they are stronger financially than other companies that have been hit. But I still think that at some point there's going to be a shock in the supply chain else that hits so I've been playing around with that with that idea. As far as Costco goes, uh, we don't have any of those around here. But aren't they aren't they kind of like a super center or something? Yeah, I mean you you buy a you buy a men- membership. It's do you have Sam's Club? It's basically like Sam's Club. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, so it's just a version of like Sam's Club. Well, I know Walmart uh, stock had hit. You know, took a pretty good hit, and they seem to have a big portion of the market shift. So I, I would agree that, I mean, it only makes sense that the multiple come down as well. I mean, if someone as big as Walmart and Sam's club took a hit on their stock, it would only make sense that uh, Costco would come down too. And that, that, that probably is a, a pretty good play there in the short term. I would say, do they, did you say they have earnings or anything coming up soon? Yeah, I don't think their earnings come up till September 22nd. Um, so I was sort of looking at October um, or on and just giving it a while for it to come down. But, but I mean, it's hard. Costco is a very good company. Had very, very strong capital allocation for a long time. When you step back and look at Costco, uh, there's a reason that they're trading at a higher multiple than everything else. I just struggle to see why that multiple should be 40. 40 seems super steep to me, but that's it. But I'm, I, I never short it. Uh, they could go way higher. So it's just a little hedge protection at this point where if I'm right on the individual idea, I make money. If the market moves in that direction, I'll make money. Uh, and it, that's sort of just the way I'm playing it. I guess it's a it's a strategic way to hedge your broader portfolio. I know you said you're only using a few percent uh, or like one percent of your total portfolio for options plays, but it, it seems like that would be a nice little hedge against the broader market. Um, one one uh, idea um, when I look at shorting things through options, uh, typically, and this is just you know something to think about but uh, something that i like to do is if you're going to short um, a stock through like buying puts i try to go out to like 60 days and uh, you really want to hold between 60 days and 45 days and once it gets to 45 days you want to close out that and roll to the later month and that will keep your theta decay very low on the option. 
uh, and drop for more time, but sticking between that 60 and 45 day, you're, you're still going to have decent Delta. Like I would probably, uh, the way, the way I play options is, uh, like really at the money options or even in the money options. And so if I was buying, um, a put in Costco, I would probably go out 60 days and I would buy something close to at the money. And then, um, every 45, after the option got to 45 days of expiration, I would roll out to 60, um, just to keep that okay from eating away my options, uh, value for the contract. So that might be something to look into or, or maybe just uh, another perspective for you on some possibilities of playing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. The, the rolling of options, it's definitely something I got to get smarter on. Cause right now I've sort of been put, putting it off. Cause I just, I think it's my dumb money, but no reason I can't make my dumb money smarter. Heard that. Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot, a lot of different parts to options. Um, when, um, when you buy, when you buy options within that 45 day window, especially between 45 days and 21 days, if you are buying an option during that time, you actually have some of the worst theta decay. It's not as bad under 21 days, but not only between 45 days and 21 days, you have the worst theta decay, but you also have less of a delta. So, so if you go like under 21 days, you have worse theta decay, but at least you have the the higher delta exposure to the stock move than you do out past 21 days. But if you're looking for like something that's a longer term option and you're not just trying to get a quick move in the market, going out past 45 days before the the um, theta de- decay curve starts to sharpen, then you're not going to lose a lot of money in just time passing by when you get past 45 days. But if you get get close to at the month you'll get some some kind of delta the exposure it won't be as good but the problem with buying options is really the theta decay so if you can kind of avoid a big portion of the theta decay you're going to have a lower delta you're not going to get as big a return on your money but you also don't have to be as right and you don't have to be as right as quickly as you would if you're under that you know 45 under the 25 day window yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's uh knowing how to roll them knowing when to play them i like leaps that's the simple one i like to do just give myself more time just as uh, you can get the theta decay it can really eat away so quickly um so and a lot of times when i'm playing options i don't know something's going to happen right away so it I like to have a broader idea of what I think is going to happen, but the time element is always the hardest part. So put in options and the anywhere less than two months is always tough because I always ask myself, how do I know this is going to happen in the next two months? And I don't. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I guess no one really does. Um, that's what kind of led me to the trend trading. And I know you've, you've been looking into, like we talked about earlier about the commodity trend trading, um, have kind of looping back around to that. Um, what all have you, like, I know you looked at commodities and, and trend trading, but for a specific way you've been looking at that, or is there any like, like, um, research that kind of struck you that, that, cause it seems like you're, very much for commodity trend trading is it was there any certain thing that like really made sense to you on why um that works or like that really like said okay yeah this is definitely something i need to look at yeah i mean it's just looking at the historical events that happen and the different stages of the markets that have happened over the in, in the recent history and seeing that there's been times markets like this where everything's going terribly and commodities are the only thing ripping. And then looking at, you can go back and test some of this and it passed the common sense test. So it passed the historical test and it passes the common sense test when I'm looking at it as well to say, 
why does this make sense? Why would commodity trend following make any sense? And when I can see historically that it, it does add to a portfolio and I can explain why it makes sense and why when they rip, they really rip. Um, those are the two things that I really, I try to understand. And I'm still not a huge fan of trend following outside of commodities just because I don't think I can answer that second question a lot of times to explain why it makes sense outside of commodities. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, yeah. I think I agree with with that. Um, you know, that was really what set me on the path of of uh, of like the trend trading stuff. Um, I think the for me that second part, as far as like following other things, um, I think for me it's. Um, it's some of the same things as far as like historically and be able to like back test some of these things to see how they work. But one of the things that I had put a lot of thought into, like you have, like, like with what you just said, like it makes sense and, and you have reasons why, uh, I, I guess theoretically or, or, or in common sense wise, wise too, but just like, just like when you think about it, like you're saying it makes sense in that aspect, but also in the historical aspect and uh, one of the things that I also really like about trend trading is however you define your trend, you know, it, you're defining it as soon as it does X, Y, and Z. And so if you say, you know, once a, uh, a stock goes up for, we're, we're just going to do something, you know, just bake just for uh, you know, example. Let's say after it goes up for three weeks uh, in a row, then I'm going to buy it. Well, it, in trend trading the way that i've been looking at it is you set like a price level of like anything above this price i'm going to be long uh, and i'm going to hold this long and i'm kind of going to trail my exit point but anything below this point i'm just going to get out so what i really like about trend trading is my risk is way lower than possibilities of making money so there's if i if i'm like saying a stock's at like say a scale from zero to ten and the stock's currently at like a two and i say i buy like two just for example two dollars i know i can only lose two dollars because i'm gonna get out before you know before that happens but the possibility of it going to three four five six seven eight nine ten it's not saying that it's probable but it's possible so the possibilities of making more money than you can lose is that extra extra piece that that makes trend following make sense to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's it, it works for some people and not for others. So a lot of different ways to make money out there. Um, I'm just trying to find mine. and We're all just finding trying trying to find ours. Oh yeah, for sure. There's, there's, I mean, there's many, many different ways to make money in the in the stock market, and that's the beautiful thing about it is there's, um, there's a lot of information to today. There's a lot of tools that you can use, and uh, it makes it possible. I see Chris has made it to our conversation here. Um, what say you? I just got in here. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just, you know, same old, same old. Anything catching your uh? Uh, and Marcus this week? I haven't been paying attention too much. Been working pretty hard. As uh, any any different portfolio changes or any updates to anything that you're doing? I haven't done too much. I bought some um, more Roku last week, um, but that's about it. Uh, speaking of Roku, uh, is there um, was there any existing position that you had in in Roku, or uh, any specific reason uh, to make the allocation? Yeah, I already base position. I just added, you know, a couple more shares. Um, I just think it's um, it's been beat down pretty good, but all the metrics and stuff, you know, seem to look pretty good. I have a Roku TV at my house. Every time I go to somebody's house, they have a TV with Roku on it. Um, they're trying to, um, I guess, um, 
become a bigger player in the streaming aspect of things. Um, I just think it's a good price right now. I know Fat Baby Funds also likes it as well. So yeah, there's yeah. a Roku in every uh, bedroom of our house. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, I I thought Roku was expensive when at its peak, um, when it was four hundred dollars or whatever it was. But to see it down at eighty nine dollars, it's it's a lot lower than I ever expected. Especially because I think this is going to be one of those stocks that has a lot of revenue growth ahead of it and a lot of margin growth ahead of it. Um, I think they're going to be able to keep growing their platform revenue uh, really strong. Uh, they've got a lot of options. They've, they've sort of snuck into every household in America and they control the, the streaming landscape because of that. And so it's, it's definitely a lot of leverage they have that they can slowly take advantage of over time. Yeah, the interesting thing about companies trading at 400 and then trading to 80 is there's a lot of people out here that says markets are efficient. Uh, I would like to know you guys' opinion on the efficiency of the market when at one and a few months ago you can you can have a stock at 600 and then 6 months later or however long it was um, it's down to 80. Uh, is markets efficient in you guys' opinion? I don't know about that, but I mean, when Roku was at 400, I mean, it was super, you know, overpriced as, as everything else was as well. I mean, we had that big COVID surge when um, COVID, you know, started to end all, you know, all the stocks kind of blew up and pretty much everything was way over what the value um, should be. We had so, so many new people in the market who were just buying things. Everyone was was just bet, betting on everything to just keep going up. Um, now we've, you know, obviously has had, you know, worse financial conditions with the rising gas prices, 10% inflation, um, pretty much everything across the board financially, rising interest rates. You know, now we're back, I would say, in my opinion, we're, we may be even under what – they're underpriced. Certain things are underpriced right now, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have looked into that that four hundred area. No chance I would have bought Roku at that point. As well as really, you know, most of the stocks at that point, in my opinion, were you know way blown out of proportion. That no matter how well they they would have been doing financially or how big of a market share they have or whatever. I mean, that was just crazy at that point. Yeah. And I mean, to answer your question, I definitely don't think the markets are rational. I think the markets are drunk. Uh, I think in the long term markets are rational, but in the short term, they do dumb, dumb things uh, like we're seeing. There's no way you can explain this as rational. In the long term, you start looking at five year views, 10 year views. It makes a lot more sense. But in the short term, no way. Yeah, I, w I would uh, I would definitely agree with that. And we're going to have a pop-in speaker here, the finance hippie. I don't care what your name is now. That's what I'm calling you. I say you. <laughs> Are you Oops, there? We lost you. Oh, uh, oh, my bad. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I think oh. I accidentally hit the wrong button, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to quick chime in on that that question. And uh, I don't know if it was Fat Baby or, or you commenting. And I do agree with what you know what you just said. But the market, yes, it's efficient, but it's irrational. And at that time, you know, last year, two years ago, nobody knew what the hell was, how was going on in the economy or, in the world. And, you know, the projections were just so optimistic that those projections were priced in. So in that aspect, yes, it was efficient, right? It's efficient thinking, um, you know, Uber optimism and all these things is going to, you know, shoot up. So in that way, yes, it's efficient. And all of a sudden, everything starts to change. It quickly, you know, reverts back to, to re, you know, reality. Um, so efficient, yes, but <laughs> drunk also, yes. And irrational, yes. Um, <laughs> so you got to kind of think of it two different ways. But yeah, it's yeah. 22 cents. <laughs> yeah, a mixture, uh, mixture of, uh, of 
factors, I guess. And that's probably the answer most of the time. So I guess the question after that is what really, you know, what brings the edge to our games as far as making money? I guess that's the question traders and investors always ask themselves. But um, it's definitely been interesting markets and them we've seen. In, in the previous years that uh, we've all been alive. So definitely interesting times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's hard to hard to judge yourself, especially in these short terms, uh, whether you do know more than the market. But you just got to keep coming back to your baselines. And once you start to get a long enough time frame, the, the P&L is the truth. Yeah, I think it's hard to be do good right now i think it's it's pretty tough to do good short term because day to day it changes whether it's somebody from the feds or biden or you know whoever it may be you never know what they're going to say on any given day at this point and it seems that you know we have we have an up day then we have a down day then we have an up day if you can time the market i guess it'd be good trading but but for me even you know even though I dabble in the, the trading world, I, it, it's hard to know what's going to happen in the short term right now. So I've just been looking at more the long term after all of this, you know, craziness settled down. What what companies are going to come out of um, the fire here? And that's kind of what I've been focusing on right now, rather than trying to figure out what to do from day to day, because I, I don't know if anyone knows at this point. Um, I'm going to let uh, Finance Hippie, uh, seems like he put his hand up there. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I, uh, well I was just clapping, you know, uh, agreeing with you. But, yeah, uh, you can't – in something – I can't um, – Fat Baby had a good tweet a, a while back. Like, you, the price action, the short-term price action doesn't really, you know, mean you're right or wrong. If you have an investment thesis, you know, what happens over the next few months uh, – doesn't mean shit, right? It, it's really about, you know, long term. And if you truly believe in the company, if the company is good, there's going to be a lot of turmoil. You know, we both like Spotify, for instance, and God knows what's going on right now. And it's just a lot of a lot of stuff. But I like what I see in on the, um, some of the metrics that I see behind. I, I, I like I use the product all the time. Um, you know, I do see it over the next five years as a good company that I'm not worried that it, you know, it lost, uh, 80 percent you know I, I did sell a little bit when it was at 300 because you know although i loved it it, it didn't it seemed a little uh a little extreme but but still you know you can't look at you're not right or wrong based on what happens you know within a few months and yeah i make little jokes sometimes especially with bitcoin but ultimately what's going on now or now or what, what happened nobody could say you know um especially with regards to bitcoin nobody's right yet uh there, there could be a defining moment when people can say they're right when it's adopted by the, you know, pensions or, or adopted by, you know, bigger um, funds, bigger asset managers, then maybe, you know, somebody can say they're right. Or if it just completely dissipates, I can finally say that I'm right. But like right now, I might make jokes, but ultimately, you don't know if you're right or not. There's still, still too much time ahead of us. Yeah, I think uh, I like the edginess of the... Uh especially your views on um, uh, of crypto and stuff. That's always fun to have those conversations. Uh, I would say you're right or you're wrong when you close the trade. Whether you close it for a profit or close it for a gain, I guess uh, as far as like you're investing and stuff. I know you were talking about more about, you know, what's the outcome of Bitcoin? Is it going to take over? That kind of stuff. But as far as just like trading, I guess you're right or wrong when you close it. Either you made money or you lost money, and um, for that specific time period. But uh, yeah, true. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, but as far as like these um, narratives or or big ideas of what things can become, uh, that's a different. Uh, that's a different, I guess, event timeline. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, when you close it, that's the ultimate tell that you were you were wrong. You change your mind, but it's also a sign of maturity. It's a sign that you know what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I've made mistakes, and you got to just bite the bullet or not what you thought they were, or 
things are changing and you got to just take that loss. Uh, oftentimes taking that loss, you know, saves you bigger losses. Yeah. What uh, I found is interesting. Is, uh, Chris was talking about um, more of the long term than a short term. Um, the short term is actually the thing that's been keeping me afloat here recently. Uh, my investing account uh, is down with, I would say, the majority of most people's right now. Uh, what we've talked about so far on on, on the on this episode of the podcast, uh, but the the intraday swings, uh, they've been a lot of movement back and forth and some opportunity. I don't know as far as like swing trades or things like that, but uh, as far as day trading uh, goes. That's been um, that's been a good place uh, for me uh, against my long portfolio. So, what do you do when you're talking about day trading? Are you doing that with individual names, or are you doing that with something else? And really, uh, I, I talk about you know um, the three three X leverage uh, funds a lot, the index funds, and you know I know it's very risky, but they're actually designed for for day traders. Uh, so you could buy, you know, the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or, you know, the semiconductor, which I think is fun. And you, you can make a lot in like the day trading, you know, if you get lucky, because there's a lot, you know, fit today, 15 percent, you know, move uh, semiconductors. Uh, but I'm just curious how since you do it, you know, a lot more than me, what do you do? Like, what do you day trade with? Um, I, I have a, uh, a prop uh, futures account that I trade. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of leverage, um, especially in futures, but I think the, uh, triple level, uh, triple leverage, uh, ETF, if I can speak correctly. Um, yeah, I think those are, are really good, uh, vehicles for day trading as well. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, basically, uh, what I'm, what I'm trading is, uh, pretty much the S and P 500 futures, whether that be the uh, micro futures or the minis. Are you running on a treadmill? Sounds like you're out of breath. No, I am. Uh, I'm outside. I played basketball before we done the podcast, and my legs are still moving. I want to sit down and get all get all rusty. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I can't sit still and talk at the same time. What the hell else is going on? Are you guys going to start doing this uh, on Spaces over over YouTube or however else you do it? Or is so, it a one-time one -time thing here? So they did it last week. Um, I guess we're trying some different things out. We got um, – we have an interview or two that's coming that will be coming up at some point. We'll probably try to do that on something like this, or at least live on YouTube. We typically do, we typically do any of our interviews live on YouTube as well as just record them on Zoom. But I mentioned that you're able to record on Spaces now, so this is only the second week um, that we've done it. Um, I wasn't on here last week; they did it, so I'll let them, you know, talk about how it went. However. Um, we just got to see if the audio is um, as good. I mean, we all have – so we all have microphones. Right now on Spaces, I'm on my phone. I don't know if I can do it on desktop. Maybe if I can do it on desktop, the audio may be better and I can use my microphone. Um, we just got to try it out. But I do like the idea of um, being able to have more people involved. So like yourself being able to come on and add your in input or – you know, add something to discuss or whatever. It does make for, you know, more topics um, or, you know, at least what, what people would like to discuss that day. So I, I don't know the answer to that yet. I, I think we're just trying some things out, but I would expect that we will do some of them on spaces and then probably some of them um, not. Yeah, the spaces thing, um, I can't use my computer um, for it. And, and this is kind of new to me. Um uh, so, you know, learning how this works. But I think that if we can do as many different platforms at the same time with one take, uh, then it's probably beneficial for us to do that. I know right now, um, Fat Baby's hosting it, and then, you know, we're coming on as a co host. So that helps us reach a lot more people that way. And then we're still uploading these to the typical podcast places that you can find typical podcasts. Um, I don't Spotify really know how we do it. The, I, 
and the the other issue as of now it it takes like three or four days maybe even a week to get the recording so it's not spaces isn't set up where when we finish we download the recording we can upload it um it takes like a week for them to send us the recording so yeah. and i'm and trying who, who knows what they're today. doing okay. so i'm trying something new today where i'm screenshotting it on my other phone so on my work phone i'm screenshotting it so hopefully that works and we can have it right after but, but yeah no the the downloading of it you have to download your whole twitter archive and look through the data and find it all that kind of stuff i i asked wolf that if there was a better way and he says he pay, pays for some tools to make it easier so twitter definitely yeah. doesn't make it easy yeah, so what I would expect is we will, you know, we'll typically do it as we have been, just using um, Zoom or whatever other platform, um, just doing our standard podcast. But maybe, you know, maybe every other week or once a month, we might do one on Spaces just to try to get more people involved with the particular. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I definitely like the Spaces better just because, as you said, I'll, I see you guys on there. I'm like, yeah go shoot some shit and, and see what you guys are talking about. Uh, you could jump in for half an hour or, or however long you got. Um, and it's just much easier than uh, doing whatever the zoom meetings yeah. or, or more scheduled uh, things. But like you said, I think both, both might make sense too. Yeah. So we've been talking about doing spaces for a while and we're just now going to, you know, if we, you know, if we, we have a guest on. We'll probably just do Zoom and then live on YouTube so people can comment questions in the the comment bar. But we, you know, if we have if we invited someone on, we want you know them to be able to speak their mind most of the time rather than have a bunch of people. But yeah, I, I would like maybe at least once a week, maybe even every other week, us do something on here where we can get more people involved in. And for this, you know, we. Last week and this week, we had just treated it like our normal recording. So we didn't like, we didn't tweet out, hey, we're going to space spaces, come join us. It was just like, let's use spaces to record. It may be easier or just let's just try it out. So in the future, we'll probably say, hey, tonight we'll do it on spaces and then, you know, get more people involved. Yeah, if there's an easy way to just to do it on all platforms at the same time some easy way that isn't a big hassle um, that would be ideal but who knows if we can do that or not well i think we can do that the, the that is obviously just us three be on zoom like normal and then just have spaces running in the background more or less would be the only way i can think of doing that but that would be a way to get other, we would basically only be using spaces to get other people who want to speak, and then when they speak through the phone, it would it would record on the Zoom. Sounds good. I'm open for anything. Well, um, now that we are here and recording this one for the podcast, is there anything else, uh, any other topics in the pockets that uh, you guys would like to cover? I don't have anything today. Yep, either do I. I'm good. All right. Well, if you're listening, I guess the people on here already do so. But if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, wherever else, be sure to follow us at Swinging It on Twitter. No just, it's just at Swinging It. You can follow Fat Baby Funds as well. And then uh, you can check out his blog. The contents of this week's episode of the Just Swinging It podcast are for educational and entertainment purposes only. All persons are only given their opinions and are not to be considered financial advice. The Just Swinging It podcast isn't responsible for any financial actions you may take based on the conversations held on this show.